if you turn to Exodus 12, we'll get started. Exodus 12. So I want to say a few things, and then we'll, we'll read our text. First, let's go before the Lord with a word of prayer. And Father, I just ask, Lord, that your hand will be on us here, and you'll open our minds and our heart to receive what you have to say to us, and that we can just worship and magnify the Lord Jesus Christ for the blood that he has shed for us, that it's our salvation, our redemption. It's the way we can get into heaven, and without that blood, we would be lost. And I just ask you, we'll just magnify that today in Jesus' name. So, speaking of blood, you know, when you see someone laying on the ground, and their eyes are closed, and there's a large amount of blood around them, what's the first thing you think of is death, right? It just seems like somebody's died. And I can remember looking in magazines, uh, you know, they were dealing with the mafia a lot, it seemed like back in the 60s and 70s. You see those pictures of where those hit guys had done somebody in, and there's just blood just right out in the street. It's just a gruesome sight. I remember I used to just be like, oh, I, I didn't like seeing that. And there again, it's just speaking of death. And, you know, one of the great generals in the Civil War, Ulysses S. Grant, he would not eat any meat that had any trace of blood in it at all. He would practically have his meat burnt whenever he had his meals cooked. But yet, his nickname, they called him the Butcher because of all the blood that he, in a sense, had shed during that Civil War. And, you know, <laughs> years back, we worked over at Purnell's Sausage Plant and next door, and one of the guys there, they, he told me that, you know, they'd slaughter pigs there at Purnell's. That's how you get sausage. And <laughs> they'd hang those pigs upside down, he'd say, and that blood would be draining out of their neck. And he'd say, they just stick a cup in there and drink that blood. I'm like, you have got to be kidding me. That's what they do. He's like, yeah, I mean, and they have blood pies and all that. But that's not a Shelby County tradition. <laughs> we never did that in Ohio, I mean, you know, Buckeyes and... <laughs> Waffles is what we ate up there, but anyways, I never heard of blood pies till I moved down here. But so Leviticus 7:14, it forbids eating blood. I don't know if you knew that or not. So you know when the apostles and elders got together in Acts 15, you know for the Gentiles they came up with four requirements for the Gentiles, and they were you have to abstain from pollution of idols, from fornication, from things strangled, and the last thing was blood. And why is that? I mean, why would they put that restriction? Because God, why is he given us blood? It's a means of life, isn't it? Not as food or drink. I mean, he's given us water for that, hasn't he? So we, we all know that the Bible says, this, this is a fairly famous verse, don't we know, that it says the life of the flesh is in the blood. That's Leviticus 17, 11. So when blood is spilled, generally when we see blood spilled and large amounts of it, you know, it speaks of death, life poured out, and it's not something to drink. And so where was the first blood spilled? By man. It, you know, God said to Cain, we know the story, where is Abel thy brother? And his answer was, I know not. I don't know where he is. Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said to him, what have you done? What have you done? He said, the voice of thy brother's blood crieth unto me from the ground. He said his blood was speaking. <laughs> and what was his blood saying? What was it crying? Death, revenge, justice. That's what it was crying out to him. Justice should be done. You know, and all through the Bible, when we 
a lot when we see blood, it speaks of death, and a lot of times, doesn't it? It speaks of violent death that's taken place. And what's that cause of death and the cause of blood being shed? Sin, isn't it? Sin's the cause. It's the root cause of all war and murder. And sin is the cause of all violent death that we see around us. It's still taking place. It started back then. It hasn't ceased. Man shedding other man's blood. But today, I want to talk about there's one instance that we all know of where blood speaks not of death, but of life. Spilled blood, I'm talking about. Shed blood. You know, a death took place to produce blood, and it's blood that does not cry out for vengeance or justice, does it? It cries out for mercy. That's what the blood of our Lord cries out, doesn't it? Mercy, forgiveness, and redemption. So it has a voice too, doesn't it? And aren't we glad it does? <laughs> really, we are. So that blood represented death. It, re it represented the death of our Lord. But more importantly to us, for us, what did it represent? It represented life for us. New life. We're a new people. Deliverance from the bondage we were in. And here's the thing. Unlike the blood of animals that were forbidden to drink, the Lord says this is blood that we are to drink. John 6.53 says this. Then Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoso eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is meat indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. He that eats my flesh and drinks my blood dwells in me, and I in him. So did he mean his literal blood? I mean, we all know the Catholics really got that one wrong when they say through transubstantiation that the, the wine literally becomes our Lord's blood. That's not what he's talking about, is it? It's done in remembrance. When we, when we have communion, it's done in remembrance of the blood that was shed for us. And so he said in 1 Corinthians 11, this cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do ye as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, we show the Lord's death until he comes. And so that's what we do when we have communion. But it's nonetheless, isn't it blood that we can rejoice in? I mean, it almost to uh, somebody that's not a Christian and doesn't know the Bible. I mean, one time I made the mistake. My, my in-laws, this is early on, they asked me to pray at the family dinner. And so, you know, back then, the way I would pray over the food, thank you for this food, just cover it with the blood of Jesus. And I mean, all of a sudden, there's total silence. I was, I was never asked again to pray for anything. <laughs> I kind of realized it probably wasn't a lot of wisdom, but, you know, my heart was right. But here's the thing. It's this blood that speaks of life to us, doesn't it? And the, if that blood had not been shed, our Lord's blood, we would have nothing but a dark, eternal hell ahead of us. That's what we would have had facing us if it wasn't for the blood. So let's read. Let's read in uh, Exodus 12, beginning in verse 1. We'll read through verse 14. It said, And the Lord spake unto Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, saying, This month shall be unto you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year to you. Speak ye unto all the congregation of Israel, saying, In the tenth day of this month they shall take to them every man a lamb, according to the house of their fathers, a lamb for a house. And if the household be too little for the lamb, let him and his neighbor next unto his house take it according to the number of the souls 
Every man according to his eating shall you make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish. A male of the first year, you shall take it out from the sheep or from the goats. So it didn't necessarily, it could be a goat too. We notice that in verse 5. And you shall keep it until the 14th day of the same month. And the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it in the evening. And they shall take of the blood and strike it on the two side posts and on the upper door post of the houses wherein they shall eat it. And they shall eat the flesh in that night. Roast with fire and unleavened bread, and with bitter herbs they shall eat it. Eat not of it raw, nor sodden at all with water, but roast with fire, his head with his legs, and with the pertinence thereof. And you shall let nothing of it remain until the morning, and that which remains of it until the morning you shall burn with fire. And thus you shall eat it, with your loins girded, your shoes on your feet, and your staff in your hand, and ye shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. For I will pass through the land of Egypt this night, and I will smite all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and against all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. And the blood shall be to you for a token upon the houses where you are. And here's the title of the message. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and the plague shall not be upon you to destroy you when I smite the land of Egypt. And this day shall be unto you for a memorial, and you shall keep it a feast to the Lord throughout your generations. You shall keep it a feast by an ordinance forever. So I kind of want to go through this a little bit here. Uh, I want to go back to verses 1, 1 and 2. And it's interesting that right here is where the Lord changes Israel's calendar. And so look what it says in verse 2. He says, This month now shall be unto you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year to you. So prior to that, the beginning of their year was mid-September. And with this change right here, the Lord has said, Your year no longer begins mid-September, but right now you're dating everything from mid-March. Changed it from mid-September to mid-March. So he's telling the Jews that your new year from here on out is going to be dated from your new beginning. Because they're getting ready to have a, a new beginning. And so their year is going to begin with their birth as a new people through this Passover. This is when they're going to be birthed as a nation, this night. They become his. And so God's telling Israel that from here on out, this is going to be the most important date of the year for you. Because for the world in America, some of them, the most important date of the year is New Year's Eve and January 1st, isn't it? That's the big party day. That's the way they look at it. But no, for Israel now, it's going to be mid-March on the Passover. And they were to celebrate this how long? Forever. It's from now on, it's a memorial to you. So remembrance. So look it down back again at verse 14. And that's what he says. We read it. We'll read it again. And, it's, and he says to him, This day shall be unto you for a memorial, and you shall keep it a feast to the Lord throughout your generations. You shall keep it a feast by an ordinance. It was a law. So how does just that apply to us today? So for me, and I'm sure for you too, the most important day of my life is my new birth took place. More important than my birthday, 
I'm sorry, Lisa, that my anniversary, right, or any other day I can think of. Everyone in this room, here's what your birthday was. I was shapen in iniquity, David said, and in sin did my mother conceive me. That's your birthday. Or the wicked are estranged from the womb. So do you want to celebrate your wickedness? That's what the Lord says. The, the wicked are estranged from the womb. They go astray as soon as they are born, speaking lies. Now, I'm not saying you can't celebrate your birthday. I, I'm not saying that. I'll send you everybody a cake. Just let me know what the date is. I'll be glad to do it. I'm glad to have you around. So I'm not saying that when I said what I said. But listen, isn't the greatest day in our life the day we were born again? The day that God gave us new life. And so we were just talking to Lisa and I to some people at lunch the other day. It's not like we have to have remembered the exact date on the calendar. Because honestly, I remember where I was, when it happened. I got the month and I've got it within a three-day span. But I forgot to write it down. I'm just not, I forgot to write it so I know it's around the 28th of August, 1981. That's fairly close. And now I'm not going to be hitting that with you, but that's, that's when it happened for me. Passed from death to life. What a day, delivered from sin, guilt, hell, and I'll tell you, this is no small thing, from an evil conscience. Did you know that's what it says in Hebrews, that you know how our conscience is purged from our past? It says it right there in Hebrews 9, by the blood of Jesus Christ. His blood purges our past, and I'm telling you, I can speak for myself, I had a conscience that needed to be purged. Because my conscience was, if I was driving down the road and I saw a policeman, my conscience went, uh-oh. It really did. It made me nervous. And so after I was born again, I said, policeman, I'm glad to see him. And that's what a purge conscience will do for you. So listen, that new birth and the blood of Jesus purging our conscience, what did it do? It, it gave us a new relationship with God we never had. We, we didn't know the Lord before, did we? Never knew before. We knew he loved us that he heard our prayers, that he's with us, forgave our past, and we have peace now with God. We were his enemy, but we didn't know he was our enemy too. But now everything's, the word is called reconciled. We're reconciled to our Lord through that blood that was shed. And here's the hymn, I love this hymn, down at the cross where my Savior died, down where for cleansing from sin I cried, there to my heart was the blood applied Glory to his name. Applied blood. That's our new song. Amen. It's something we can rejoice about. So do you remember the day when you were brought from darkness to light? You know, the day you just gave your heart to the Lord Jesus Christ and committed yourself to him. Because not everybody does. So we're, we're talking here. I still haven't lost track of what I'm talking about. This day is a memorial. This is a day of their deliverance. And for some people, they have, they're, in their mind, I've, you hear it too many times, I've always been a Christian. No, nobody's always been a Christian. Can I say that in love? You have not always been a Christian. Everyone is born in sin. Everyone needs to repent. Everyone. So there is no such thing biblically of someone that has always been a Christian. We, we need to repent of our sins and look to the blood of Jesus Christ for our salvation. And so if that's happened for us, that is a day that is like no other that we've ever experienced. I was dead, and God gave me life, we can say. Me. And like I said of an old preacher, he said, I never, his success is, he's one of the best preachers you'll ever hear, Martin Lloyd-Jones. And they asked his daughter, 
what was his success in ministry? She said he never got over the day he was saved that God would look down and save him. Never got over that. And that to me was an amazing thing. So the life we received, it came how? Through the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ, didn't it? So let's move on here. That's, so it's, it should be a memorial day to us, just like it was for Israel in verse 2. And, and here we see in verse 3 that Christianity, just like it was for the Jews, is a family and a community religion. It's, it, from the get-go, from the start, it was never an individualistic religion like some are. It's made to be community. It's made to be with your family. And so we see that here in verse 3. He writes, Speak ye unto whom? All the congregation of Israel, saying, and he goes on to say, In the tenth day of this month they shall take to them every man a lamb, according to the house, not the individual, the house of their fathers, a lamb for a house. And so we have there the whole nation is participating in this Passover, aren't they? Everyone is. And look down in verse 6, you'll see it in that verse. He says, you shall keep it the Passover until the 14th day of the same month. And look what it says there. The whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it in the evening. Do you know how many people that, that was that he was speaking to approximately? 600,000, 600,000, over a half a million men plus women and children. That is a lot of people to be partaking of that. And he says it's a lamb for a house, like we just read in verse 3, not for an individual. And do you know who the priests of those houses are? The fathers. The fathers were the ones responsible for getting the lamb, sacrificing the lamb, and spreading the blood. But here again, let's bring this home again to all of us fathers. You know what else those fathers, they had a responsibility that night to kill the lamb, to sacrifice it for their family. But do you know what else they had a responsibility for after that? Because they got kids, and those kids are like, why are we killing that lamb, our lamb, that we've raised? And when I'm out there feeding, and that father had a responsibility, like we do, to instruct his children about the way of the Lord, the way of salvation, the reason for this shedding of blood. And you see that it's over in verses 26 and 27 in this same chapter. And it says there, and it shall come to pass when your children shall say unto you, well, what do you mean by this service? Why do we do this, Dad? And then you shall say, it is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover who passed over the houses of the children of Israel and Egypt when he smote the Egyptian and delivered our houses and the people bowed down and worshiped. And so that is a good time. Explain to your children why we do communion. You can explain to your children, this is what the Lord Jesus Christ did for me. I was, you don't have to get into the details of your past. I probably said more to my kids than I ever needed to, right? But you could say, hey, it was that blood that was shed that granted me deliverance that happened on this day. And that's how we can instruct our children. They should grow up knowing this is the way of salvation. This is why we need to have that blood applied to our lives. And this is what it'll do for you. You know, the Lord said about Abraham... This is what he said about Abraham, and this is why he's the father of the faith. He said, Abraham, for I know him, that he will command his children and his household after him, and they shall keep the way of the Lord. So you have young kids. It's, believe me, it's never too late to start. You just start instructing them while you're driving down the road. You just make it natural. But they love to hear those kinds of stories. You can talk to them about the Passover. So here's sometimes in verse 4, sometimes these households were combined. 
We read about that. And so the idea is it's one lamb for many people. Whether it's your household, how many are there, or sometimes if there was a family, they couldn't eat a whole lamb, and they would, the Lord just would work it out. They can get together with their neighbor and share the lamb together. But it's one lamb. It's, you know, one lamb's not going to do 600,000 people. But it's doing more than one is the point. And so we don't do it. I know Brother Hamilton in the past would talk about doing it. But there are a lot of churches, they will take one big loaf and break it. And everyone in the congregation is partaking of the one loaf. And that's the idea we're getting here with the Passover. One loaf represents the body of Christ that is shared by many. I still think the amazing thing about this is there are 600,000 men participating in this, killing lambs on one night. That's a lot of blood. A lot of blood. But this lamb can't just be any lamb. But look in verse 5. It says, Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male of the first year, and you shall take it out from the sheep or from the goats. So that lamb had to be what? It had to be perfect, we just read, and it had to be young. It had to be only a year old. So the, the reason it had to be young, we know that younger animals, the meat a lot of times will be more tender and tasty, whatever, but that, it wasn't a matter of it would taste better because an older lamb would have tasted all right. The reason they're doing that is because everything we're reading about here is pointing to whom? The Lord Jesus Christ. And so he was young. When, when he started his ministry and when he died, he was a young man in his prime, 30 years old. I don't know if I was in my prime, but I know I had a lot more hair, <laughs> a lot more energy, and, and only one child when I was 30. <laughs> But, but that's what this lamb is pointing to, that the Lord Jesus Christ was a young man in his prime when he gave himself for us. And so this, everything about this is going to point directly to him as the fulfillment of that. And also that lamb had to be without blemish. And so I'm going to quote you a verse that everyone knows. First Peter 1, it says this about our Lord. For as much as you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your father's, but we were redeemed with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. So I would say, you know, it's possible you could be like, I've got this today. I've got this perfect lamb. And there are just not very many lambs like him. Check them out. You know, you're not going to find any defects. It's a rare animal and he's worth a lot because of that. He's precious. And that's what God is saying about our Lord's blood, that it is precious that it is rare. And why is he saying that? Because this blood comes from a life. The lamb had to be without blemish. It comes from a life without defect. There was no defects in our Lord. Hebrews says, For such an a high priest became us who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and made higher than the heavens. And if you think about it, he had to live his entire life blameless. So just think, what if he'd have had one unkind thought? Just one is all it would have taken in those 30-some years. And think about, if I think about my week, I wish I could say I never had an unkind thought just this week, let alone my life. He never had any. One moment of wrong anger. He got righteously angered, but he never got angry because somebody cut him off. They, they put their mule in front of his and cut him off in traffic. And let me just say, can we say to ourselves, if we had no anger this week, 
Or what if just one instance of lust is all it would have taken and he'd have been disqualified as a lamb without blemish? And so we have to ask ourselves, how, what, have our thoughts been pure this week, this month, this year, in our life? That's the amazing thing, isn't it? Never a second of covetousness in our Lord. Never a second. Always, throughout his life, an attitude of submission to God, and he lived just a perfect, obedient life to the Father. His entire life, every moment of his life. You think about that. That is a life so rare that only God could provide it. There is no man that could live a life like that. It's impossible. No child of Adam could live that perfect life. And yet it says of him, our Lord, in all points he was tempted like as we are. And here's the thing we need to understand. When he went to te through temptation, he went through it to the, to the maximum amount of each temptation. He, without sinning. But the maximum amount. Why? Because anybody, he's got to have gone through it so he can help any of us that are going through temptation to the maximum amount. He wasn't just lightly tempted. He endured it to the nth degree. That's amazing. Without sin. As a man, he did that. Here's another thing. You think about this. 600,000 men are sacrificing lambs in their house. Think about it this way, though. What does that mean? The Lord had to provide over a half a million lambs without blemish. That's a miracle, isn't it? Like I said, only God could do that. Think of the odds of that happening today. Try to find 600,000 lambs or whatever the amount was. I mean, it was more than three. <laughs> Think of having to go out and try to find lambs out that were perfect like that. So God, he's showing only God could provide that, right? An even greater miracle is that the Lord provided the perfect man, the Lord Jesus Christ. That's even a bigger miracle than those lambs. And the lambs are like, wow. But he provided a perfect man. The only man, he is the only man that would qualify to be our substitute. His death taking the place of ours. Like I said, so if he would have sinned in any way, he would have had to pay the penalty for his own sin and only his own sin. He couldn't pay the penalty for our sin. And so you think about that. We're saying, can you find 600,000 600, spotless lambs? And think of all the multiple billions of people born on this earth of men. And there has only been one that qualified. Does that make our Lord special to us? It really should. One out of all of us. And here's the thing. He had to be a man. God had to become a man to be our kinsman redeemer. He had to take on flesh and blood. And it says that in Hebrews 4. As much then as the children, that's us, are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same, that through death... He might destroy him that had the power of death. That is the devil. The only way he could give us deliverance from the devil and the oppression he had us on is through his death. So he had to become a man like us. But the thing is, not only a man, but he also had to be God. He couldn't just be a regular human being. And here's why. Because the blood that was shed had to be of infinite value which a man's blood wouldn't be, but God's blood is in the Lord Jesus Christ. Not tainted by sin. It couldn't be tainted by sin like yours and I. It had to be a pure, holy blood, the blood of God that was of infinite value. And here's why groups that deny the deity of Christ, that is why the Bible deals so harshly with them because they are forfeiting their salvation when they say Jesus wasn't God. He had to be God. 
There's a lot of people getting saved by blood. And if it was only going to apply to one person, we'd all be in serious trouble, right? So his deity made that blood of infinite value, and that's no small thing. So the Lord Jesus Christ was, as we read, perfect, holy, the sinless God-man sacrificed on our behalf. And so we move on to verse 6 here, and we read that that lamb was observed for four days and then killed at 3 p.m. So it says, and he shall keep it. So we see up in verse 3, it says, in the tenth day, they brought the lamb in. And they said, so they had it for four days in verse 6, and you shall keep it until the 14th day, got it on the 10th, keep it until the 14th day of the same month, and the whole assembly of the congregation shall kill it in the evening. And that's at 3 p.m. So here's the significance. We're saying everything points to the Lord Jesus Christ. They observed that lamb, had that lamb with them, observed it to make sure they didn't have one that had a problem they didn't notice. So they're checking that lamb out for four days to make sure it qualifies. Do you know how long Jesus entered Jerusalem? Four days prior to the Passover when he was killed. He was in Jerusalem for four days, and guess what? They examined him. The people examined him. The high priest examined him. Herod examined him. Pilate examined him. So they're examining those lambs to see if there's any fault or blemish in them. And they did that with the Lord Jesus Christ. And here's what Pilate ended up having to say to the Jews in John 18. He says, after all this examination, I find no fault at all. The heathen themselves are justifying our Lord. I find no fault in this man at all. No one could find any fault in him. Four days faultless after four days of examination, Jesus was, so he was truly, as we're seeing here, our Passover lamb, crucified examined for four days, and he died. The Lord died in the afternoon, just like this Passover lamb was killed. So here's the significance of this. It answers a very serious question, having this Passover lamb, and that is the question of how can we be safe before a holy God? How can we come into his presence, have, have anything to do with a holy God, and be safe? And that's what this is answering. The answer to that question, how can we be safe, is we need to have the blood of a perfect substitute, the blood of a perfect lamb. That is the only way, this is what this is teaching us, that we can be safe. And John the Baptist, what did he say? Behold the Lamb of God, Jesus. He is the Lamb of God, the ultimate fulfillment of that type which taketh away the sin of the world. And as one writer said, there was someone... In Egypt that night, there was someone dead in every house of Egypt that night. So for the Egyptians, their firstborn males were all dead. And do you know what that, the reason that was is because that was retribution for what Pharaoh did to the firstborn in coming out in Exodus 1, butchering them. That's just God's retribution and justice coming forth there where their firstborn males died. But in every Jewish house, there was a death also, a firstborn male lamb. <laughs> there was a death in every house in Egypt. It's just one, they were firstborn male children. And for the Jews, Jewish people, it was a firstborn male lamb. And every year from there on out, Israel is graphically reminded that they have life 
and deliverance and freedom because of a death that took place. And that's true for us. So look here in verses 6 through 13, and it talks about how that lamb is killed. The whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it in the evening, and they shall take of the blood, strike it on the two side posts, on the upper door posts of the houses wherein they shall eat it, eat the flesh in the night, roast with fire, and on and on. They'll eat it with their loins girded, verse 11, and the Lord said, I will pass through the land of Egypt. And look over in verses 21 to 23. And Moses called for the elders of Israel and said unto them, Draw out and take you a lamb according to your families and kill the Passover. You shall take a bunch of hyssop and dip it in the blood that is in the basin and strike the lintel and the two side posts with the blood that is in the basin. And none of you shall go out at the door of his house until the morning, for the Lord will pass through to smite the Egyptians. And when he sees the blood upon the lintel and on the two side posts, the Lord will pass over the door and will not allow the destroyer to come in unto your house to smite you. So those families would take those lambs and probably tie it up, probably tie up the legs so they wouldn't kick. And then they would slit the throat and the lambs wouldn't resist. And so they had to watch that lamb die. And even though they don't resist as the blood flows out, the lamb would start jerking and kick as it died until the blood was drained and the lamb was lifeless. And I'll tell you, if you want, and you might not want, but anymore that in some ways I like the computer and in a lot of ways I don't, but you can find anything on YouTube and Google. So you can literally, you get on there, and I've done it, you can, I, I watched, that you get an image of what it's saying here as far as that that lamb is as meek as can be. These they had to be over somewhere in the Middle East, but by the way they were talking. But they got this lamb in a wheelbarrow, and they got his feet bound up, and that lamb just lays there. It doesn't do anything. And this guy has got a knife to where I'm thinking, I'm just glad I'm not that lamb. I'm glad I haven't met ISIS yet. And they, they just stretch that lamb, lamb's head over that wheelbarrow, and they just cut, and he doesn't resist at all. He's not squirming. He's not moving. He's not resisting. He doesn't do anything until his blood starts coming out, and then you'll just see him start jerking, which is probably an involuntary reaction. I'm thinking, that's the way it was with our Lord. Never resisted anything. Let them do to him whatever they wanted to. It's a picture we have there. And they collect that blood in that video, too. They got a little can there, and they're collecting that blood, and that's what these Jews would have had to do. You think about that. I mean, it's hard for me to sit there and watch that lamb's throat being slit, they stick something in there to keep that blood flowing out. It's hard. It was hard for me to watch that. But everyone in Israel had to see that. Everyone had to know what was going on there. You didn't get away from that. And so you graphically see what's happening here. So they collected the blood, we read, in, in a large basin, a large bowl. And then they'd take that hyssop, which was just like a big bushy plant, and they'd paint that lintel on the side. And some of them were houses. And a lot of times, though, back then, they lived in tents. Here's the thing. There was to be none on the floor. You were not supposed to step on that blood. And we have that said in Hebrews chapter 10. And they tell them, you Israelites, you stay in your houses. They had to stay in there until the morning. That's how it worked. So I'd like to make a couple observations here about what we've read. And the first one I'd like to make is that when they did that, when they did what the Lord said so that Passover would took place. They had to trust and apply that blood how? How did they have to do that? 
They had to do it by faith. They couldn't just hear the instructions that were said and say, well, obviously God loves us and he's going to take care of us and he'll deliver us. And really, I just have never liked the sight of blood. They couldn't do that, could they? <laughs> they had to do what the Lord told them to do, be obedient by faith. And they had to kill their best lamb and collect that blood and apply it just like he said, believing that what he said would come to pass, that he would pass over their houses. And the, the other thing is, it wasn't something they did in secret. It's on the outside of their house. It's not on the inside. They had to put that blood where everyone could see it. And you know who's seeing that? The Egyptians. And you think they weren't mocking those people? What are you doing? That's the craziest thing. What, I mean, blood? You know, there's a Sherwin-Williams right up the store. You know, you could use something that you know, is going to last a little longer. But listen, they couldn't be ashamed, and they had to do what God said in spite of what their mind might have said to them, right? Or in spite of what the world was saying to them about how crazy that is. You, this blood, this Jewish person that died on a cross 2,000 years ago, somehow that blood is going to get you into heaven and not your good works? They had to believe that. I had to believe that deliverance only came through that blood. And, they, and the thing is, we have to do the same thing. We have to apply the, Lord Je the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ by faith. Romans 3, it says, For all have sinned, all of us have sinned and come short of the glory of God, being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God has set forth to be a propitiation through Faith in his blood. And when it talks about propitiation, that is a word that's not, it's not like to be used anymore. And they're putting a different spin on it now in a lot of theology classes. But it's saying God is angry with sinners. And he's angry with us. And he needs to be appeased or propitiated. And the reason he's propitiated is he's saying a death needs to take place for that sin. And that blood is saying, okay, a death has taken place. And God is appeased by that, by the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. But we have to exercise faith in that blood for ourselves. When we sin, when we've missed it, to come to the Lord, we have to trust. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us on the basis of that blood and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Right? That's what we need to believe. Hebrews 10 says, Having therefore, brethren, boldness, that's faith, to enter into the holiness of by the blood of Jesus. So that's our faith to come before the Lord. We are always unworthy. We're always subject to God's wrath. And the only way we are worthy is how? He has to see us covered by that blood. And let me read it again. Hebrews 10, 19. Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiness by the blood of Jesus. That's what gives us our boldness and assurance to come to the throne of God for whatever we need from him. Like I said, we cannot be ashamed of that blood. We really can't. And to speak to other people about it. And there are a lot of Christians that are ashamed of the blood. And so we went to a, a gospel concert some years back. And the guy shared that the music label they were on, they wanted them off. They said, if you're going to continue to sing songs about the blood of Jesus, you're no we're no longer going to publish your music. And so they said, okay, well, we're not going to compromise there, which I will give them credit for that. They said, it's not about money with us. It's about glorifying the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you're saying we can't sing songs about the blood, we will start our own music company, which is what they did. They just published their own music. 
But that's the way it should be for us. We shouldn't be ashamed of what it is that gives us our forgiveness when we're sharing the gospel with someone. Because here's the thing. The, why, why is that happening? Why is a group being threatened that way? You know who hates the blood? The devil absolutely hates the blood. That's what defeats him. And that's one of the weapons we have. Revelation 12, they overcame him, the devil, by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony, and they loved not their lives unto death. So we overcome the devil through the blood of Jesus. It's one of our weapons, is it not? So here's the thing. The other thing I'd like to point out, it says when the Lord says that he sees the blood, he says, when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And look, that's in, look in verse 12, Exodus 12, 13. He says, and the blood shall be to you for a token upon the houses where you are. And he says, and when I see the blood, I will pass over you and the plague shall not be upon you to destroy you when I smite the land of Egypt. So God says there when he sees the blood, he'll do what? He'll pass over them. This word is not translated in a lot of extracurricular. That's how they can kind of tell what a word means in the Bible. They'll look to other literature a lot of times written in that day, and that'll help them get the meaning of the word. And so there's, if this isn't the case with this word for Passover, and so there's, a lot of, there's, there's another line of thought of what this word Passover means. And I would say I don't think it's contradictory. So there's the idea of passing over, passing over the house, but there's also the idea in that word some believe of defending the Jews from the destroyer, that the Lord is there when he sees that blood to defend the, the Jews from the destroyer because the, God is not a destroying angel. It's just he controls the destroying angel. Do we understand that? He controls evil spirits for his purposes. It's God is not evil, and, and he's not a destroyer. So look, you see that a little bit. I think the two thoughts combined, if you look in verse 23 of Exodus 12, it says, For the Lord will pass through to smite the Egyptians, and when he sees the blood upon the lintel and on the two side posts, here's the first thought, the Lord will pass over the door, and here's the second idea. He will not allow the destroyer to come into your houses to smite you. So he will pass over, but it's also saying he will not allow that destroyer to destroy you. So that destroyer seeks to enter in, and the Lord says, no, not here. My blood is on this place. So what is it that God has to see for the Israelites to be delivered from death? Well, that's pretty simple to answer. That's what we've been talking about. He has got to see the blood when I see the blood. But what we need to remember is he's this is what we need to remember. It's the blood. He doesn't say, when I see your good works, when I see how much you labor in prayer, when I see how much of the Bible you read, how successful your career is, how happy your family is, and so on. That's not what he says, is it? So we need to remember that, that our trust is in the blood and what the Lord Jesus Christ, because what was the only difference between Israel and Egypt? It was what? It was the blood. That, and that was the difference between the two. Look what happened to, in Egypt, verses 29 to 30. And it came to pass, this is the judgment that came on them, that at midnight the Lord smote all the firstborn in the land of Egypt from the firstborn of Pharaoh that sat on his throne under the firstborn of the captive that was in the dungeon and all the firstborn of the cattle. And Pharaoh rose up in the night, he and all his servants and all the Egyptians, and there was a great cry in Egypt, for there was not a house where there was not one dead. And so all ranks and social status, that is from the king to the dog catcher. 
or the trash guy or whatever, the ditch digger, whoever you consider the lowest. To the animals themselves even, in Egypt, there was not one of the firstborn in any rank and even amongst the animals that escaped that destroying death angel. Not one. And it says there was a great cry that came up out of that land. Could you imagine hearing that wailing coming out of these houses? They weren't that well insulated. And it's coming up, it says, out of the land in the night when they're discovering what's going on. Terrible. Terrible judgment. Ter dark, terrible night. You know, women coming in and discovering there's their firstborn child that they love. That special, the firstborn is always the special child. And there he lays dead. Oh, man, they're weeping and crying. Most favored one dead. And here's the thing that we need to see is there is another dark, terrible night coming into this world. Coming on this world. It's going to be just as bad, if not worse. And once again, we are going to have all ranks of people crying out because of the judgment God is pouring out on this world. Read the book of Revelations. It talks about from the greatest to the least. Who can hide ourselves from this judgment that's coming? It's going to be absolutely terrible. And only those that are marked or that are under the blood of Jesus Christ will live or survive the judgments that are coming. There's only two kinds of people, just like in Egypt at that night. There's only two kinds of people, aren't there? There are those that are under the blood of Jesus, saved from the wrath of God, and those that are exposed because there is no blood to the justice of God in hell. So here's what we need. Once again, if I could just reiterate this, what we need to understand, so we need to live holy lives. Don't we, we all understand that, don't we? But we really need to understand our holy lives are not the basis for us getting into heaven, no matter how holy we are. That is not the basis for us to get into heaven. It's only the blood of Jesus. He's got to see us under that blood. Or it's judgment. It, it, it's not going to be a measurement of how holy we are, how many good works we've done. And we know we need to do all that, right? So that's not the question. But I'm saying our trust is in his blood and in his righteousness only. That's going to be our plea. God must see the blood, and are you trusting in that blood only? Here's an old song, an old hymn. I won't read the whole thing, but it's entitled, When I See the Blood. If you have an old hymn book, you can look it up, and I'm not going to sing it to you. But it goes like this. It says, Christ our Redeemer died on the cross, died for the sinner, paid all his due. All who receive him need never fear. Yes, he will pass will pass over you. And the chorus says, when I see the blood, when I see the blood, when I see the blood, I will pass. I will pass over you. Second verse. Chiefest of sinners, Jesus will save. As he has promised, so he will do. O sinner, hear him. Trust in his word. And then he will pass. He will pass over you. For when I see the blood, the Lord says, when I see the blood, when I see the blood, I will pass. I will pass over you. And so that fountain that we sing about filled with blood is still flowing. It is. And it's of infinite value and sufficiency. So all who will come to that fountain by faith can partake and be cleansed and forgiven. So you've missed it this week. You've missed it the last year been backslidden or you've never known the Lord, there's the invitation. It's never going to be a shortage. 
It's of infinite value. It's the God-man that died on our behalf. Come to the fountain and be cleansed and have your conscience purged. You don't have to have that guilty conscience. The blood of Jesus will take care of that guilty conscience. And God invites us, invites all of us, doesn't he? It may have been this morning. Sinners, there is a fountain filled with blood, as the song goes, drawn from Emmanuel's veins. And sinners plunged beneath that flood lose all their guilty stains. That's one of my favorite verses. Of that. I love that verse because that was me. It just really speaks to me. I was a guilty sinner that needed to be plunged beneath a flood of the blood to be cleansed. So in conclusion, let's just, I just want to speak to those, those that aren't saved here. We, we can't be naive to think that everybody knows the Lord. But if you've never committed your life to the Lord Jesus Christ, He doesn't give you tomorrow. He says, today is the day of salvation. Today, the Bible says, if you hear His voice, don't harden your hearts. That's what the Israelites did. And they were judged for that. So if you know you're not saved today and God's speaking to your heart, today is the day to do something about it. Come to that fountain and be cleansed and be free from your guilt and your past. He'll do it for you. He took the punishment that was due you because your sin, if you're here as a sinner, deserves death. You deserve, if you're a sinner here, for the crimes you've committed, you deserve to have your throat slit. Just like that lamb, and your blood to be poured out. But Jesus shed his blood in your place. He allowed himself to be tortured and his blood to be shed for you if you'll just put your faith in him and just trust him and be like the, the publican. He says, God, be merciful. And there's that word propitiation again. Be appeased on me, a sinner. Be merciful to me. Just cry out to him for that. He'll do that for you. He really will. Just say, God, I'm a wicked sinner. Admit what you are. Don't try to cover it up. Cover me with that blood, pray. Only you'll see the blood. And so for the Christians, it's like I want to just say another time that we just need to know that our holy life is not what saves us. You can't, you're not going to be saved without a holy life because without holiness, no man shall see the Lord. We know that. But that holy life is not what saves you. It's only through the blood of our lamb, the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, the righteous lamb that only God could provide. And we are totally dependent on him, aren't we, for everything, for that blood, for our forgiveness. There's nothing we can do for anything, whether it's healing, but especially for our forgiveness. We can't do anything to earn that. It's only that free blood, that rare person in the Lord Jesus Christ that shed his blood. That is all we have. That is our plea. What can wash away my sin, we sing? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Nothing can for sin atone. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Not of good, not of good that I have done. Nothing good that I have done. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Is that the song we sing? It is the song we sing. And that's what that song is telling us. That is all our righteousness. And so the Lord says, when I see the blood, if you're under that, I will pass over you. And I will protect you from the destroyer. That's what he tells us. He'll protect us from the destroyer. And so don't we as a church still believe that there is power in the blood? Wonder-working power in the blood. There really is. That song is a great song. And that's what it's saying. And so, hey... You know, when we plead the blood of Jesus, we're saying what? We're saying that destruction 
that is coming my way and it looks like there is no getting out of it will pass by because God will supernaturally protect us and deliver us from this situation through that blood. Because why? Because he sees us under the blood of Jesus Christ. So, you know, when, when you're driving like I have been on black ice with Thomas and we're like going every which way but the right direction and if oncoming, you know, you don't have time. It's the blood of Jesus is what came out of our mouths. And, hey, weren't we straightened out? Lord, straighten us out. We need to straighten out a lot of ways, didn't we, Thomas? <laughs> One time I was falling head first off a, off a roof, eight feet, head first. A scaffold just, bam, it was there and it was gone. And I'm heading head first. And my mind is saying, you got a broken arm. Because I'm heading, I'm going to hit the ground on cement with my arm first. So that was no time for intercession. I, I didn't have time for intercession. And I had time, though, to holler out the blood of Jesus. And I hollered it, I'll tell you, pretty loud. And all I got was a scraped arm and a little shook up. But other than that, God protected me. And I baptized a lady's bush in black paint. But other than that, everything was good. <laughs> but, but when symptoms come on your children and yourself, I mean, you're pleading the blood. You're saying, I'm under the protection is what you're saying. Lord, I'm looking to you. I'm under that protection. And Satan, you cannot destroy my family or whatever it is. That, that's what you're doing because... You know, it got to be to where the blood of Jesus was just a mantra, so to speak. And people weren't really exercising it in faith. And they're saying it over things that you don't really need to be, right? So we need to take seriously if we're going to plead the blood of Jesus in a situation that hey, we're saying that it's in faith and it's a situation that requires it. Not just a phrase to be thrown out there. But the last thing I want to say is, can we see today that just like with the Israelites, in our daily life, for our forgiveness, for our salvation, for everything from the Lord. Where is our safety? It is being under the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. That is where our safety is. And to remain under that blood. And so it says in 1 John, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, there is a requirement of obedience there. Then the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. Because if you're not walking in the light and you're out there willfully disobeying the Lord, that blood, you're, you've taken yourself un, out from under the protection of the blood of Jesus Christ. That you can get back in under the blood by repenting and confessing and everything's good. So it's not like we have to live a perfect life or we're out. Part of living a perfect, mature Christian life is when you make a mistake, when you sin, that you repent and you get yourself back where you need to be under the blood of Jesus. That's where our protection is. Amen? Amen. Amen. Well, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you, Lord, for the words you've given us through, that through the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ, you've granted us salvation, protection from the enemy, and eternal life. And that blood represents his righteousness and his life. And we want to just thank you, Lord, for providing him as the lamb, the unique, rare lamb, the only one that whose blood that was shed that could forgive us our sins and give us eternal life. And we are just so grateful, Lord, that you've given us, as you say, that indescribable gift of your son. And we just thank you for that, Lord. And I just ask that you'll just impress your word on our hearts as we go forth from here today. And that we'll just be so thankful, Lord, for the blood that was shed, the blood that you gave us, the precious blood of our Lord Jesus Christ, who was holy and harmless and without sin. And we thank you for all that, and we do it in Jesus' name. Amen.